I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. Hello, Beth. Oh, hi, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'm very, very, very good, thank you. We're actually really delighted this week, aren't we? We are. It's been a brilliant uh, week. It has. I mean, we've managed to get this uh, podcast, which is essentially the two of us just sitting here having a chat about the 90s. It's our favourite era, isn't it, Jimmy? It is. And we've managed to get the, the podcast into the charts, which is a real surprise, and we're overwhelmed but delighted with that. So thank you, everyone who's listened, downloaded and subscribed to it. But thank you so much for all the support you've given us so far. And the comments as well, the positive comments about they're enjoying listening to who we're talking about, they enjoy listening to us. Apparently, we've got a good dynamic, which yeah. was a bit of a surprise for both of us. <laughs> but a pleasant surprise. A pleasant surprise, indeed. Okay, so who are we going to talk about today, Jimmy? I've got a really, really great story to talk about today. And um, this is one that I've had in my mind from when we first had the idea of the podcast. Do you remember the fake shake? I do. So all I the do. stories that used to be in the news of the world, dressing up as a Saudi Arabian prince, going out essentially entrapping multiple celebrities, with many of them ended up behind bars following the stories that the fake sheikh produced on them. So the mm. fake sheikh was Mazir Mahmoud, and that is who the story is about today. Oh, I look forward to it, Jimmy. It's going to be interesting. Let's rewind to the 90s. Mazir Mahmoud was born on March the 22nd, 1963, in Smallheath, Birmingham. His parents, Sultan and Shamim, were both journalists who'd come to Britain from Pakistan three years before he was born. Mahmoud began his career in journalism and reported in the late 1980s working for various newspapers, including the now-defunct Sunday Today. At the age of 18, he had a story in which he exposed his friends who were selling pirate videos and that ruthlessness to break stories would go on to show itself throughout his career. That's shocking. So mm. even at the age of 18, he was essentially telling on his friends. Absolutely. To get himself the story, wow. he gave that information to multiple newspapers about his friends selling pirate videos just to get his name out there. So that shows two things, I guess. One, uh, a determination and nothing's going to get in my way of being successful, but also... Not really a great friend. No, no. <laughs> Not a friend that you'd um, want to share your secrets with. So the exposure of his friends brought him to the attention of the News of the World, who offered him a two-week assignment. And following this engagement, he began freelancing for the Sunday People. So it was in 1984 that he discovered an alter ego that would bring international prominence. While working to expose a vice ring at a hotel in Birmingham, he disguised himself as a wealthy Arab sheikh to invite prostitutes to his hotel room. In 1989, Mazid joined the Sunday Times. His time there ended in apparent controversy with him being dismissed for gross impropriety. Mazir has denied that that was the case, and at the time, apparently, he had made a mistake, which everyone makes, but he had gone out of his way to try and cover up the fact that he'd made that mistake. Wow. So that's what his former employers had said. He's always denied that, but he was dismissed for gross impropriety. So he joined TV AM to work as a producer until he got his big move to the news of the world in 1991. And his contract there was fairly unusual. He adopted an enigmatic approach which saw him rarely attend the newspaper's offices and also prevented them from publishing his photograph. Was that by his choice? Yeah, so I guess if he's going to go undercover to try and mm. sting all of these celebrities, 
if they knew who they were looking at when they met him, it wouldn't work. So part of his contract was that he couldn't have his photo published. So I remember back at the time, whenever one of his stories was in the paper, it was always as a silhouette. His picture was just a silhouette. Mm. Yes, yeah, now you said that. So the news- newspapers encouraged that. They knew that, that he was doing that. Absolutely, they yep. agreed to it. And, and later on, they went to great lengths to try and prevent anyone else publishing his picture. Mm-hmm. Throughout his time there, there were many stories with over 100 subjects of his stings being convicted. A £100,000 contract was put, in a, put on his head. Such was the elements of society he was upset in. And we can't go through every story he did throughout that period, but I will outline some of the more memorable stories. And I think there's a number of them that you too will remember. Mm-hmm. So in 1997, the fake Sheikh set up John Alford, who'd starred in Grange Hill in London's oh, Burning. Yes, yeah. Alford, who frequently bowed to what he believed to be Saudi royalty, was secretly filmed agreeing to supply Mahmoud with cocaine. Alford went on to be sentenced for nine months following the story. And then in 1998, Richard Bacon, who was just 22 at the time, was exposed for snorting cocaine. He went on to lose his job with Blue Peter, but managed to break out of children's TV and ended up having a fantastic career mm. afterwards. You know that show Jimmy Carr did recently? I, I literally just told you. Yeah. That was Richard Bacon who came up with that idea. Really? Mm. Oh, no, I didn't know that. That yes. is a, it's a good show. So he's obviously got his radio career. He does bits and pieces on television, but mm. he's actually quite esteemed behind the scenes as well. Mahmoud had a huge story in 1999, and this is the one where I think I fully remember. So I obviously remember John Alford at the yeah. time. I used to watch London's Burning, yep. so it was a big surprise when he came out, and of course, Grange Hill. Yeah, and he had a bit of a pop career as well. He but did. Was that after we'd done the nine months? He did Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. Right. So that's the one I was thinking that. And it, it was linked to... You, did you just sing that, Beth? No. <laughs> um, so he did Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. I think it was yeah. a play on London's Burning, but it was after that that after. he was stung. Right. But Mahmoud had a huge story in 1999 when he exposed Newcastle United chairman Freddie Shepherd and his deputy Doug Hall. So they'd taken Mazir to a Marbella brothel and said that Geordie women were dogs. They made fun of Kevin Keegan being like Shirley Temple. He was their manager at the time. And they made fun of the loyal Newcastle fans for buying the expensive replica shirts. Mahmoud went on to win Sports Reporter of the Year for that particular exclusive. And that same year, another fake shake investigation, the Earl of Hardwick and another man were exposed as drug dealers. And in the court case, the jury explained that although they convicted the pair, it was with reluctance due to the extreme provocation by Mahmoud. The judge sympathised with this and gave the pair suspended sentences. Now, the judge had made it clear that he would have probably gone harder but for that entrapment. Yeah. And, and much of the controversy throughout Mahmoud's career was around that entrapment. How far does he go to get these mm. stories? Um, and we'll hear more about those in the examples we, we continue to discuss. So in 1999, Ryan Geek's brother, Rodri, was allegedly caught supplying cocaine, but he was later acquitted. And the judge at the time did ask prosecutors to consider bringing charges of incitement to supply drugs and illegal possession against the reporter. So Uh even back in 1999, there were judges starting to look at the methods that were being used and challenge them and see whether there was actually some criminal activity on the reporter's side. Poor old Rodri. In 2001, Sophie, the Countess of Wessex, was embarrassed as she was secretly recorded offering royal access to the fake sheikh. In the process of what she thought was securing a PR contract with a Saudi prince, 
She made derogatory comments about Prince Charles, Tony Blair and William Hague. She ended up resigning from her role as a result of that scoop. So all these lives, he said people go to prison, she's resigned from her position, she's, it's just, it's not sitting right with me. No, and I think there's an appetite for that story, particularly at the time, there was an appetite for the story and he was incredibly popular, the reporter. He was incredibly popular for continuing to bring these scoops, but what probably wasn't fully appreciated at the time was how far he was going to get the story. Yeah. Let's take John Alfred. It's one thing if John Alfred comes up to you and says, I've got this cocaine, do you want to buy some? Yes. It's another thing if someone who he's trying to impress builds up this impression that he's a Saudi prince and then drops it into the conversation. Mm. And I think that's where the, the line was perhaps a little bit blurred. So in another blockbuster story by Mahmoud, and you'll definitely remember this one, the News of the World published a story on an alleged plot to kidnap Victoria Beckham and her children. However, when five men went on trial for this, it collapsed after it transpired that the News of the World had paid an unreliable source £10,000 for the story. And that unreliable witness did end up later being deported from the UK. He will come up again later on in the story, so just keep that in mind. Uh, the News of the World was referred to the Attorney General over their actions, and they were also sued by one of the men. And that man won his case and got an apology and libel costs from the newspaper. In 2003, posing as a businessman trying to fix football matches, Mahmoud caught John Fashionu, promising to get two Premier League footballers to help and asked for a Mercedes and £40,000. He explained that he should be paid through his charity. Posing as a Muslim extremist in 2004, Mahmoud attempted to buy radioactive material, which, as part of the story, was supposedly for a Muslim terrorist group seeking to carry out attacks in the United Kingdom. The men involved were again found not guilty and again the news of the world were criticised for not validating the credibility of the story. Then in 2005, posing as a property tycoon, Mahmoud convinced Princess Michael of Kent that he was a potential buyer for her 17th century Cotswolds manor house. The princess was recorded making a range of disparaging remarks about other members of the royal family. That same year he targeted Sherry Blair's lifestyle guru, Carol Kaplan. She told Mahmoud that Blair was overweight and drank too much and generally spoke about him being in a bad way. And at the time, of Tony Blair was the Prime Minister. So obviously that's a massive, mm -hmm. massive story that she, that he's getting from the inside. So that's like shocking. But what, what has shocked me is the fact that the news of the world know this is all happening and it's like they get a libel against one case and then they get it again, but then they're carrying on. Because well, then you're telling us about another time he's done it. Well, you have to imagine that they're making more money out of the readers they're getting for the stories that he is producing than they're paying out in libel costs. Yeah. So, in, I guess in their mind, it's but a But that's not equation. right. That's not right. These innocent people are being trapped. I think oh, this is where it's cloudy. Innocent is the wrong word. <laughs> it, it's innocent-ish a word. <laughs> <laughs> in 2006, Mahmoud was sitting in a Dubai restaurant with then-England manager Sven Goran Eriksson. Mahmoud had the cover that he was a businessman trying to open a sports academy and Ericsson allegedly asked him to buy Aston Villa and appoint him as manager and then he would go and speak to David Beckham and get him to join. So David Beckham at the time was England captain, probably the most well-known footballer around and they were going to have this big revolution of Aston Villa whilst Ericsson was preparing England to go to the 2006 World Cup. Uh, it was announced soon after that Ericsson would leave his job after that World Cup 
Sven also criticised other managers during that meeting with Mahmoud and he claimed that many of them took buns and he boasted of his own previous sexual encounters. In 2006, there was a man who was ready to take the fake shake on. Oh, I like that. Now, I'm interested in this now. <laughs> take him on. Well, there's someone else later in the story who ended up taking him on, but George Galloway was the first in 2006. Shall so. I be the cat? Yeah. <laughs> that was probably the creepiest bit of television I've ever seen. So for those of you who never Big, saw it, yeah. Celebrity Big Brother. With Rila Lenska. Yeah, yeah, and they were doing some activity and George Galloway said, would you like me to be the cat? And she was, yeah. Stroking him. Pretending he had whiskers and stuff. And he was down on all fours <laughs> doing little purring against her and stuff. Isn't that funny? That's all I think about when I see him or his name. <laughs> Shall I be the cat? <laughs> If you haven't seen it, you have to Google it. It is the creepiest bit of television you'll ever see. In fact, you may be better off not Googling it. <laughs> uh, so George Galloway met wealthy Muslim businessman Pervez Khan for dinner at the Dorchester Hotel, and he says straight away he smelled a rat. The lack of a beard made Galloway question how devout this Islamist was. So the businessman was claiming to be a, a, a devout Islamist, but he didn't have a beard, and, and George Galloway from the area he represented yep. in Bo, it's quite a, a Muslim-centric area. Yes. He was very familiar with... I love that that's how that got him thinking, mm. this doesn't seem right. And during the interview, there were lots of questions posed to Galloway, which were clearly to elicit controversial responses mm. from him. So Mazir had attempted to implicate him in illegal party funding and to agree with anti-Semitic statements. And at the time, it was a case that Mahmoud was making lots of comments against the Jewish community, very offensive comments, and he was trying to get Galloway to agree mm. with those comments. Mm. Galloway wrote to the commissioner of the Met, Ian Blair, and to the speaker of the House of Commons about the incident. He amusingly also shared photographs of Mazir everywhere he could, the News of the World tried to prevent the publication of those photographs, but lost the case in High Court. Mm. Do you think because it was the, the other side of it, he was now going to be potentially caught out? Why did they lose? I don't News know. The World lose then? I think when you have cases like this, quite often they talk about what's in the public interest mm -hmm. as to whether you can publish or not publish. And I guess given that there were various members of the public being set up by Mazir, you could <laughs> argue that it would be in the public interest to for them to know what he looked like. In 2008, Mazir wrote a book which he called Confessions of a Fake Sheikh, The King of Sting Reveals All. So he's really reveling in that title now. That same year, he went on to the Andrew Marr Show to challenge the growing criticisms of his methods. So naturally, as the stories are getting bigger and more frequent, the challenge from those subjects is also increasing too. So by 2008, people knew who he was. So George Galloway outed him, really. He did to an extent, but to what proportion of the of the public? Now, George Galloway did share the pictures among MPs also. Mm. But I guess internet access probably, although it was still massively evolved by that year, it wasn't as we consider now where, you know, all of our mums and dads are on the internet. Mm. It wasn't yeah, necessarily no. like that at that time. But he's written his book called Confessions of a Fake Shake. Yes, yeah. and that was just him revealing all of, a lot yeah. of information about the things that he'd done. So in 2010, he had another massive scoop. Sarah Ferguson, the Duchess of York, told the fake shape that she could get him access to Prince Andrew, who at this time was her ex-husband. The access would cost half a million pounds. 
Fergie reflected on that in later years, saying that she was going through a period of great difficulty due to her drinking. In 2010 also, there was another top story on top snooker player John Higgins and his agent Pat Mooney. In a hotel room in Ukraine, they had allegedly agreed to match fixing. While the accusation wasn't about fixing the result of a match itself, they were apparently willing to fix individual frames. They were recorded on video discussing how they would do it. Higgins later denied agreeing to fix frames and said he didn't know who he was dealing with and thought it best to play along. His agent also said they were unsure of who they were dealing with and that they had concerns about their safety. So you would have to question how they ended up in a hotel room in Ukraine with these people that they apparently have no idea. Yeah, not sure about that one. In August of the same year, while disguised as an Indian businessman, he exposed a cricket bookie giving details of Pakistan cricketers fixing matches during their 2010 tour of England. Three of those cricketers were jailed for the scam and Mahmood gave evidence in court. The story led to Mahmood winning awards for the Reporter of the Year and the Scoop of the Year. Yeah, so that's the bit I don't like. He wins Reporter of the Year, but he's already had his book out that confesses him as the fake shake. But I guess... So show, showing the entrapments that he, he's been doing all the way along, and yet there well, he, he wins Reporter of the Year. He never outwardly came out and said he was entrapping people. He said he was playing the role. He admitted to playing the role of the fake shake, among other roles that he played. You know, obviously here he was apparently an Indian businessman, but he never said he entrapped people. But it's an underlining thing of. But it don't the undercover that. police officers do the same thing? If they're not entrapping, they are playing a role to give someone enough rope to hang themselves, mm. essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In 2013, two-time heavyweight champion of the world, Herbie Hyde, was sentenced to 22 months in prison for conspiracy to supply cocaine. Again, the question of entrapment was raised in court and did lead the judge to give a lesser sentence than he otherwise would have done. But if Mahmoud thought he'd come up against a strong adversary in George Galloway, he would have no idea how determined one of his later targets would be. Talisa Contestavlas, the former end-up singer and X-Factor judge, had allegedly arranged for a friend of hers to supply the fake shake with cocaine worth £800. She had apparently believed he was a Bollywood producer wanting to cast her in a film alongside Leonardo DiCaprio. During the evening, a drunk Talisa had berated a friend as she talked about her dislike for hard drugs. So Talisa was having a conversation in the car of the chauffeur who worked with Mahmoud. Yes. So the chauffeur was driving them home. One of the friends in the car had made a comment about hard drugs and Talisa went mad about it. She went crazy about it because she's really against hard drugs because yes. she had a family member who yes. suffered from them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that had originally been stated to the police by the driver of that car. However, he later retracted that part of the statement. So he later took out the bit that said Talisa was against okay. hard drugs. Yes, because it wouldn't then cover what they were trying to get her Exactly, right. yeah. and Mahmoud was later found guilty of tampering with evidence over that. So Talisa was charged and went to court, but the case dramatically collapsed. Talisa's defence called the man who had been deported after the Victoria Beckham yeah, case. Yeah, you said he'd come back into it, yes. Talisa's defence brought him in, and he gave evidence in which he said he was paid to make up stories for the newspaper. Mm. So if we remember, he was paid £10,000 for the Victoria Beckham Kidnapping. story. yes. So the judge said he thought Mahmoud lied throughout his giving of evidence. Yeah. He said the integrity of the court would be compromised by allowing the trial to go ahead. Mahmoud was suspended by his employers and was later charged by the CPS. 
The CPS also announced that it was going to review more than 30 criminal trials that Mahmoud had been involved in. In October 2016, Mahmoud was jailed for 15 months after being found guilty of evidence tampering. Good. As we conclude our exploration into the life of Nazir Mahmoud, it's essential to reflect on the broader implications of his career. Mahmoud's controversial methods of investigative journalism raise significant ethical questions. The line between exposing the truth and potentially entrapping individuals became increasingly blurred. His fall from grace marked a turning point in British journalism, prompting serious discussions about the boundaries of ethical reporting, privacy and the responsibilities of the press. It serves as a reminder that journalism, as a powerful force in society, must always strive to uphold the highest standards of integrity and truth. The story of Mazir Mahmoud, or the fake sheikh, offers us valuable lessons. It teaches us the importance of transparency and accountability in journalism. It reminds us that when investigative reporting plays a crucial role in holding the powerful accountable, it must be carried out with the utmost integrity and respect for the law. The collapse of Mahmoud's career underscores the need for robust checks and balances within media organisations to ensure that the pursuit of the truth never strays into the realm of deception. And that seems to have been what's happened throughout this case. As I was doing the research, I found out that Amazon Prime have announced a three-part documentary of the fake shake, and that's scheduled to go on later this month, and that will be fascinating to watch. Yeah, that will be. And for our listeners as well, after giving your side of the sto- his story, and then obviously this documentary adding on to that. I think it's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. I think they, they've got um, Jodie Kidd, I believe, on there, who was yeah. a victim of a sting, and mm. I think they've got some other victims of his stings, because... Mm. Now that he has been brought into such disrepute, there's a number of people who were convicted following his stories yes. that now would argue that yeah. they've got a stronger case for entrapment yeah. than they had during their original court case. So I'd say that actually that documentary might open a load of can of worms. I suspect it possibly will do. Is he on it? I don't know. I don't know. And I would be surprised if he is because he's much like during his career, he likes to keep a low profile. Yeah, that's true. It's very difficult to find too much about him. But there was a story that said he had been involved in the media in some way. So there was some particular story that at first it was alleged he was behind the story as a freelance. I won't mention which publication mm-hmm. it was, but it was one of the major ones, mm. because they then denied he had any part of it. And then the story evolved into, well, actually, someone had some evidence and they used him to broker the deal with the newspaper, perhaps because of his previous media experience. Mm. In terms of what he's actually doing now, I don't know. So I'm hoping that the documentary brings that to mm. life. He's certainly out of prison, but yeah. what he specifically does day to day now, it will be very interesting to see. I believe his salary during his heyday was £100,000 a year for the News of the World. Oh, really? So I don't know how much of that is left. No. But it will be very interesting to see during this... Um, and his personal life, there's nothing really about a family... I'm not sure, there's very little information out there. Again, he's private, I suppose, Mm. kept himself private, so his family private. That was really interesting, Jimmy, thank you very much. I'll let you off, because a lot of that was in the 2000s, 
Yes, um, but this you're... is rewind the nineties. But I forgive you because it kicked off. It all kicked off. It did it's in the early nineties. John Alfred was ninety-seven. Yes. Richard Bacon was ninety-eight. Yeah. Freddie Shepard was ninety-nine. I said I'll let you off. Well, I'm having to make a case for the defence here. <laughs> uh, I, I no, think it's I need, a good story. I think I need Talisa's defence team to I come know. in and help me out. I mean, fair, fair play. play. To her. She was fair awesome. Fair play to her completely to go in there and just yeah. When you think of some of the prominent royal family members, mm-hmm. the, the politicians, the, the stars he'd done over the years. And it took a young lady from North London mm-hmm. uh, who began her career in Endubs mm. to really take mm. him to the sword and it was that case that really ended it for, for Mamie. But maybe that's because whether we agree with the fake shapes way of getting his stories, the entrapment side of it, a lot of those were true and did happen, whereas Talisa's didn't because they actually tampered with the evidence. Maybe that's why she was more able to say, no, this did not happen, I don't agree with drugs, I wouldn't have said that, I didn't say that. You know, if maybe if we've been caught out with something, we can't argue it because we know, well, in truth, we did do it. Whereas if it's something that we know for definite that we didn't do, we fight for it more. Potentially. And I also wonder, when I was younger, the news of the world and the people, they were so prominent, they were so powerful, and they were on breakfast tables across the country mm-hmm. on a Sunday mm-hmm. morning. Yeah. With the advent of internet news and internet journalism, I wonder if the power that the newspapers had had diminished over time and that Mm -hmm. made it easier to challenge them in a way that perhaps wasn't possible before. Yeah. Yeah. But a fantastic story. I urge you all to uh, keep an eye out for that documentary, which is coming out at the end of this month on Amazon Prime. Really looking forward to seeing that. Thank you so much for joining us again. If you're feeling generous, we'd be very grateful if you left us a five-star review for our podcast. Thank you for your continued support. If you have any suggestions of people that you'd like us to cover, do you want to give the email address, Beth? Why are you shaking your head? (laughs) If you've got any subjects you'd like us to cover, please do get in touch with us. And any comments about what we've just talked about as well. Do you agree with us? Do you not agree with us? Why? Um, We'd love to hear from you. Do you want Beth banned from ever singing on the podcast again? Please, please, please. (laughs) So you can can contact us at talktothehandpodcast at gmail.com. With the two being the number two, not T-W-O. Absolutely. Thank you. That's all from us this week. Thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back for the next episode. Until then, talk talk to to the the hand. hand.